and welcome to Rewire with Duchess Dale. Whether you're a baby boomer or a baby zoomer, a millennial or an elder ally, enjoying retirement or planning ahead, this podcast provides tips and information that turn into inspiration for living your best life. And now, here's our host, Duchess. Let me welcome you into the month of February, one of my favorite months. Not because it's got Valentine's Day. It was more so because as a kid, it had two days dedicated to acknowledging both President Lincoln, his birthday's on the 12th, and President Washington on the 22nd. And now they've smushed it up into one day, President's Day. That has never sat well with me because Both Mr. Lincoln and Mr. Washington were so significant to our history, and I have been ardent fans of theirs since I was very little. Now, February comes from the Latin word februo, which means to cleanse. Named after februalia, the Roman festival of purification, I just wanted you to know that this podcast might be a place of purification for your heart and soul, a place where you can renew your heart space, remember who you truly are, refresh your intentions, reimagine what life can be like, reconnect and rewire with us every week. So let's start with some good news about someone on our Aging and Long-Term Services Department team. Congratulations are in order for Jen Paul Schroyer, You might remember we interviewed her season two, episode 17. And on Friday, the full Senate confirmed her as the new cabinet secretary for the New Mexico Aging and Long-Term Services Department. Yay! I want to quote something that she said after receiving this confirmation. She said, quote, Today's senior is not yesterday's senior. End quote. That really resonated to me. Because it's true, none of us are the same that we were yesterday or years ago or decades ago. We are not typical at all. Because those of us who are in the older population have rewired our lives on a continual basis in the evolutionary process that takes place with life. Her quote reminds me of the commercial campaign years ago about it's not your father's Oldsmobile. We are not typical seniors by any stretch of the imagination. We are rewired each day to be who we authentically are. Congratulations, Jen. This month of February happens to be National Black History Month, as well as a leap year and Chinese New Year, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Let's talk about Black History Month. Why is it in February? It actually began as Black History Week, chosen for the second week of the month because it coincided with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln as well as African-American abolitionist and author Frederick Douglass, who was born on February 14th. By the 1960s, Black History Month was being observed at colleges and universities and taught. Now it's recognized globally as well as nationally by the government, by businesses and other organizations. It was officially declared as Black History Month here in the United States in 1976. Since it's Black History Month, I want to just shout out a plug for a film that my husband and I watched this past weekend on Netflix. It's called Rustin, R-U-S-T-I-N. It is about 
the civil rights activist Bayard Rustin. I have to admit, with some chagrin, I had never heard of him. Yes, I know, I was young when the March on Washington happened. I was certainly aware of it all these years, and I never knew Mr. Rustin was really the key person that created the vision and gathered up an amazing support team of volunteers and leaders to make the March on Washington happen for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This story is so impactful emotionally and historically, and the gentleman who plays Bayard Rustin, Coleman Domingo, has been nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor. His performance as Bayard Rustin deserves this nomination. Our perspective and our thrust here on Rewire is about looking at life differently, rewiring our thoughts and our actions and our feelings. So this month is Love Rewired. Today, part one, I have a guest that's going to talk about love in a different way. Most of us are used to thinking about love in the romantic concept of roses and candy and Hallmark cards. And there is a deeper level of love, particularly as we become older, that my next guest, Robert Benjamin, gets to share with us today. Today, my guest is Robert Benjamin, and he has a unique career that has been rewired several times. Mm -hmm. However, I asked him on today to talk about Love Rewired, our February theme, from the position of being a caregiver. Welcome, Robert. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself to get started? Sure. As mentioned, I've rewired several times. Uh, my background is that of a scientist. I worked here in Los Alamos for many years, followed by an abrupt change into playwriting. About 2011, my wife became diagnosed with a blood cancer. So since 2011, I've been a caregiver and occasionally still playwright. <laughs> yes, I am familiar with that aspect. I thought being that February is usually the love month and people think of it as romantic love and Valentine's, etc. I know and you know and from firsthand experience that love can show up in different ways. The fact that you are a caregiver for your wife is an extraordinary expression of love that I thought we could talk about today. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little about how you function as a caregiver with what you need to do and how that shows up as support for your wife. My wife is an extremely independent and autonomous person. So one of the challenges of my caregiving has been to support that autonomy, which I view as an act of love, <laughs> because that is not an easy thing to do. It's not talked about a lot in caregiving literature, mm. but I've personally found that the fundamental aspect of what I do as a caregiver, to keep her as independent as possible, which is occasionally a difficult thing to do as she's undergoing treatments. Right. That autonomy, I imagine, is 
physical as well as an emotional autonomy. Absolutely. Her emotional well-being is is essential here. As I mentioned, she um, was diagnosed with blood cancer in 2011. And just a few months ago, she was also diagnosed with colon cancer. She is now dealing with two cancers and trying to keep an upbeat attitude through all that, through the treatments and diagnoses and so forth. It's a major challenge for her, and it's a challenge for me as her husband and caregiver. What's been remarkable to me is that it's brought us closer as a couple. Not that we weren't that close before she was diagnosed, but the challenge of dealing with these cancers, I think, really helped our marriage. It's brought us to where we are together focused on solving the problems around cancer. To me, that is a deep foundation of love. Again, it doesn't sound like the chocolate candy and the roses that our society tends to only attach to the word love. It's talking about a love that has deepened over the years and found a new level that neither of you would have expected. That's certainly the case. I'm, I'm much better at caregiving than at giving chocolate and roses. So, <laughs> so this has worked out well because even before she got cancer, I found that I would often express love to my loved ones, to family and, and close friends through acts of service. I've looked at my own history and even as a toddler, which was many, many decades ago, I found that I was a acts of service kind of person even back then. I'm going to jump into it because when you mention acts of service, it flags for me the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, who is a minister who wrote this book basically about counseling people about to be married or married couples. And he identified what he said were the five basic love languages. And this book has become so popular that it now applies to not just couples, but people use it for other relationships to help identify what their love language is and how to express that. Do you want to talk a little bit about your understanding of love languages? I'd, I'd be happy to. Actually, he Chapman talks about each person having two languages, typically. One language where they express love, where they prefer to express love, and one language where they prefer to receive love. What I mentioned earlier about my feeling comfortable with acts of service, that's how I express love. I don't do as well when people do acts of service for me. <laughs> that's not my favorite receiving language, but it is my favorite expression language. You are giving the love to your wife through your acts of service that we're quantifying as the title caregiver, which is in addition to giving her love as her husband and friend. Right. I have lots of opportunity to express my love to her as the caregiver. <laughs> now, I was talking to my children about this, too. They've pointed out that as a parent, when they were little, I was always doing acts of service to help them, and that was how I was expressing my love often to them. I rarely gave them roses and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably better for their health that you didn't. And I think it is important that people understand that 
when you identify one aspect of the love language, as you said, that you can give acts of service, it doesn't always match in what you prefer to receive as a person to identify and to feel loved. It's a fascinating concept that I think is applicable in all relationships, in particular in a marriage and in something to me that is even more intimate, being a caregiver for someone. I would agree with that. Being a caregiver is an extremely intimate experience. I would add also to Chapman's book, I agree with the five languages that he has specified, but I think there's also another language, which I would call listening. Listening to a loved one, to me, is a very high expression of love, particularly in the situations of caregiving when I have to listen to a roller coaster of emotions that we're both going through. And so my wife is expressing them and being there to listen and to be part of that process, to be engaged in it through listening. I think that's an important part of what I do as a caregiver. I think you and I ought to write Mr. Chapman and and petition for an amendment to have a sixth love language. I've always been a little baffled because that would be the language that I would want as a, to receive. For me to be heard is huge, and it doesn't quite fit into the other love languages. To have someone present and open and listening, whatever the situation may be behind it, is really an act of love to me to know that. I'm being heard and seen and understood. Maybe we could write him and ask if we could do a, a new edition. Sounds great. I would say that often in times of crisis or coming out of crisis with my wife, my being present and listening is probably the most important thing that I do. There are other things that I take pride in doing and like to do that are more active than that, but I found that just being there is often really what it's about. I think that that could be a really strong statement to make for all of us if we learn to listen to one another with that depth. I think it's so enriching and validating. Have you identified your wife's love languages? They've changed over the years because of the cancer and the treatments and all, I think she might be strongest on her receiving language, receiving acts of service. Right. <laughs> because it may not have been her language before, but she has learned that it's really important for our relationship, for her good health, and for general well-being within the family, that she's learned how to receive acts of service as an expression of love from me. It brings up to me a different point that people have a challenge in receiving anyway, whether it's a compliment or a holiday gift. I imagine receiving the act of service in such a vulnerable situation as your wife that it would take some time and muscle strength to be able to do that because of, as you say, the autonomy. And if someone is as independent as your wife is or any of us, then to receive some of the service that is so vulnerable and intimate might be a challenge. I commend her yeah. having exercised getting that love <laughs> language a little more fluent. I think if I was going through anything like what she was going through, I would shift my receiving love language <laughs> to acts of service. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. What is her giving love language to you, to family members, to support team members? It varies. It's not as focused and strong as my acts of service. 
She's really big on what's called quality time with family and friends. She just likes to be hanging around and interacting with us. She's a very social person. As part of her journey, she started a multiple myeloma support group in New Mexico on Zoom. Part of what she does there is spend quality time with people individually and in the group setting in order to to help other people. For your wife to be able to do what she's doing, navigate all of that personally, and then take some of her wisdom or her experience, her reality, and share it with others is fantastic. I, I agree. And, and she's really good at that. She was a former teacher, so she knows classroom management techniques, which makes it easy for her to facilitate a support group. In the support group, she has an assistant who often finds speakers. It's proved to be a very powerful experience for people who attend it regularly, both for learning more about it for information purposes, as well as the emotional support. As we were talking about that, I thought it might be a good time for us to talk about the aspect of building a support team, a support team for your wife, a support team that supports you. Could you address that? That has been another one of my great challenges as a caregiver, to create a support team, to build a support team in in collaboration with my wife. What I've learned is that the support team that we have, apart from the medical people, I need to be the captain of that team. I need to call the shots and and decide. I'm like the baseball manager that decides who's going to be in the lineup for this game. So that is a responsibility that I've learned that I pretty much have to take on because I'm the only one other than my wife that's seeing everything that's happening. The support team includes support groups. As I mentioned, she has this support group that's specific to the cancer. I attend caregiver support groups, which are terrific. They've been a major benefit to me. There are two that I'm aware of in New Mexico that I attend. They're both sponsored by the Cancer Foundation for New Mexico. They're both online, so it's real easy to access them. One of them meets twice a month, one of them meets every week, and They've been very helpful in terms of sharing caregiver experiences. They're not so much informational as they are support and peer sharing among the caregivers. There is a social worker facilitator in each of these groups that keeps the conversation flowing and appropriate uh, because it's not a therapy group, it's a support group. And then we have a support group of family and friends. What I've learned is it's really important to know what each person does well (laughs) and to focus on that. For example, people who aren't really in the kitchen a lot, asking them for meals is not a smart thing to do. (laughs) Our two children would like to help, but only in certain ways. What I've learned, for example, is that where they help us most is helping us figure out what questions we need to be asking the medical team. Each of them know more about medicine than we do in general. So they've been really helpful in helping us to figure out what the best questions are and how to use that information. It's back to It Takes a Village, how fortunate you are to have your children having that expertise, but also finding the support groups and 
availing yourself of that. I think that uh, last year we did an episode about caregivers and we began to open that door because through the Aging and Long-Term Services Department here in New Mexico, there are resources for that. And I'm glad that you're talking about it so that we can encourage caregivers to take care of themselves as well as their loved one or their clients. Self-care for caregivers is a frequently discussed topic in the caregiver groups that I attend. The two I mentioned in New Mexico and also at the medical centers where my wife has had treatments, they each have a, a, a caregiver support group that meets online, so I attend those as well. And the question of self-care always seems to come up every session or every other session. It's really important because caregivers sometimes become too enthusiastic and burn out, and that's not good. Self-care is an activity that many of us don't do no matter how healthy we are. You are in a position to make sure, to ensure that you are taking care of yourself so that you can take better care of your wife and manage the team that you're talking about. I've learned recently, just in the last few months, is an important aspect of self-care is learning what my limits are, how far I can push things. For example, my wife had a procedure for the blood cancer in Houston back in the spring and early summer, and we don't have any family or friends there, so I was the primary caregiver, and it was just her and me, we didn't have much in the way of local support. And that was real challenging and kind of wore me down. And when she found out that she had colon cancer, we were thinking, should we go back to Houston and, and work that problem? And I'm thinking, I think I need more help here. We instead went to Denver to get the colon surgery. And a primary reason was that we had more support there. We had family and friends that could help out. So it was not only me. <laughs> Which is a good thing for both of you. I think that if someone who is in the position of being a caregiver, whether it's a paid position as a caregiver or it's a family member or someone you love, that it if they don't have an immediate family member who can advise them, the idea of these support groups and other resources could become invaluable to ensure that they're taking care of themselves and not getting too enthusiastic or getting to the other end of being burned out. It's important to know one's limits, but it's also important to exercise, to get adequate sleep, which means being able to process what's happening in a way that's not going to keep one awake all night, trying to think about what can be done. Each caregiver really needs a way to process what's happening in addition to going to support groups. And support groups are very helpful, but they're not the be-all, end-all. For me personally, I express myself in writing. I do journaling and as well as playwriting, and that helps me to figure out what's going on and what I need to be doing at a given time. I love that you're sharing that because to me, that is an aspect of Love Rewired. It's about self-love so that you can be the best whole person that you can be, not only for your wife, but for yourself. And that's a Valentine in itself. It is. And it's also important to remember that if I'm not healthy, <laughs> if I'm not real healthy, I can't do my job caregiving. And my wife and I have talked about that quite a few times. 
about what I need to be doing to protect myself and to stay healthy in order that I can be the caregiver. But it's particularly difficult, of course, during COVID times. Oh my. Right now, if I wasn't caregiver, I might not wear a mask as much as I do wear a mask because there is some COVID still going around New Mexico. But because of my caregiver duties, I feel like I have to be wearing a mask indoors for most everything I do other than being in my own home. I'm protecting her by keeping myself healthy. Right. That is a very loving thing to do for both of you. As I say, it's a different level of romance. It's a different level of romance, but I think there is a romantic element to it. Before we wrap up today, is there anything that you'd like to share, any specific takeaway that you would like listeners to have, whether they are in the position of being a caregiver or just listening to understand all of this more? I would just like to emphasize the support team element because I know from the support groups I've attended that caregivers often miss out on that. They don't understand the need for a team or how a team can help. I would just encourage caregivers to be very thoughtful and to see how they can bring other people in as team members. I know that we're talking here about being a caregiver for cancer patients, but there are a lot of other things. There are these neurodegenerative illnesses that become long-term chronic but also requires a a strong support team so that it's not overly burdensome for the caregiver. I want to thank you for taking time and act of service being (laughs) a guest on this podcast so that we can share that kind of love to the listeners and hope that that gets to the people who need it best. So thank you, Robert, and give my best to your wife. Thank you for inviting me. In my humble opinion, I'm glad we have an entire month dedicated to the awareness of love. Our awareness of love gets to be rewired this month so that it goes beyond the expectations of valentines and roses and candy as we talked about. It is a deeper understanding of how we're wired with love. Reading Dr. Gary Chapman's book, Love Languages, really helped me to understand not only my love language of giving and receiving, but the language that is spoken by the people that I love and are close to me in the world around me. And I love the fact that this weekend we get a brand new year. I know we thought we did that in January. However, if you're like me, in January wasn't quite the month that you would envision. We get to celebrate the Chinese New Year this Saturday, February 10th. It is the Year of the Dragon. It starts on Saturday, the Lunar New Year's Day, and goes through February 17th. We get a whole week to celebrate. The Year of the Dragon is associated with the element of wood. According to the Chinese zodiac signs, each year in the lunar cycle is associated with a particular animal. And there are 12 animals, much like there are 12 astrological signs. The animals are starting with the rat, ox, tiger, rabbit, dragon, snake, horse, goat, monkey, rooster, dog, and pig. Dragon is the fifth animal in that lineup for the 12-year cycle. The recent years of Dragon Year, which includes this year, goes back to 2012, 
2000, 1988, 1976, 1964, and the very wonderful year of 1952, which was the year that Singing in the Rain was released. Now, if you are a resident of New Mexico or a huge fan of Game of Thrones, this is a really good time to celebrate the dragons. Traditionally, in Chinese lore, the dragon is an auspicious symbol of strength and power. It's associated with good fortune, wisdom, success, and protection. It starts with a brand new moon on Friday the 9th. No surprise there as we prepare for the Lunar New Year. Next week is Valentine's Day, and I have a very special couple to share their love story with us. Hope you will tune in, and until then, remember to reconnect, refresh, and rewire. Our show is sponsored by the Aging and Long-Term Services Department of New Mexico. You can contact that department by calling 1-800-432-2080 or online at www.aging.nm.gov. Our original music is written by New Mexico's own Lydia Clark. Join us next week on your favorite streaming platform. Till then, remember to reconnect, recommit, and rewire. We've got information and inspiration.